and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. I want to jump right into the word this morning. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. Um, But before I get there, it's kind of funny. A couple weeks ago, you guys might remember Pastor Chad preaching out of 1 Kings 18. Had the fence on stage, right? Told you, choose your side. Quit playing games with God. Get in. And it's funny. I watch the message online. I usually watch the live stream. And so I messaged Chad after and I said, or he called me after church. We usually talk on Sundays and we, you know, how was church for you? How was church for you? And uh, I said, man, I'm about eight minutes into your message on the live stream and you've been screaming the entire time. He goes, yeah, I did. I did a lot of screaming. And I watched the rest of it. Little did I know he'd scream for the rest of the 25 minutes too. Come on, was that a good word or what? Convicting, challenging. And here's what's funny. Um, Some people know, some people don't know this, but at both campuses, we try to stay consistent with our content. So what I mean by that is Pastor Chad and I, there's some deliberation over what passage of scripture is gonna be preached that day. Now you'll listen to our messages and they're not gonna be identical, but they're gonna be similar. You're gonna walk away from Marshfield on a Sunday morning knowing that we talked about forgiveness and you're gonna walk away from rep knowing that we've talked about forgiveness. So every once in a while, we take liberty as leaders, as pastors, as communicators to not communicate the same messages and we call those standalone messages. So when Chad was in Africa, he had met Message me, he said, Hey, I'm going to preach on this first Kings. We were ending our royal series. He goes, I'm going to preach on this um, a passage out of first Kings 18 where Elijah is, confronts the 450 prophets. And he said, So I'm just going to preach on that. I said, Okay, so I assumed I was supposed to preach on that as well. So I, I get to study in and, you know, anytime I, I have a passage, I want to study the context. I want to study the historical context. I want to study the characters. Who are the characters? Why is that significant? What has God done in them? What's happening in the chapters leading up? And I don't have the Bible memorized. So sometimes I got to study and do a little research. Okay. So don't judge me. So I spend all week in 1 Kings 16 and 1 Kings 17 and in 1 Kings 18, and I am trying to put this message together, and it's just not connecting in my head or in my heart. I am struggling. It's like, it's literally Friday. I have nothing on paper, and I'm like, man, I I need to get something. Usually, I like to be done by Thursday or Friday. I'm like, I need to get something together. Chad texts me Friday morning. It says, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I'm preaching on 1 Kings 18, but you preach on whatever you want. Now, what is hilarious is, is while I was studying, and this is, this is totally the Lord aligning this and ordaining this message because I was studying 1 Kings 16 and then went through 1 Kings 17, I got stuck in 1 Kings 17. There is this random story about Elijah the prophet having an encounter with a widow. So I will confess to you, I've preached this message at Marshfield, but I... I, I Preach it with confidence today, believing that it's going to collide with some of you in the season that you're in. 
I, I don't say this to boast and I don't say it arrogantly. I, I say it because I think there's an anointing on this word. Maybe not for the entire room, but for a couple people in the room. It's not uncommon for after a Sunday, I'll get a Facebook message or a text message and it'll be someone saying, hey, that word ministered to me. Hey, that encouraged me. After I preached this word in Marshfield, I'm not kidding. I had upwards of 15 messages from people saying, hey, that was for me. Hey, that met me in my season. Hey, that encouraged me. And I'm just believing that this word is gonna minister to this room in the same way. So I'm gonna preach out of 1 Kings 17, but I wanna give you a little bit of context and setup of what's happening in 1 Kings 16 and what's happening in 1 Kings 18, as you're familiar with, because Chad preached a couple weeks ago. So while I was, uh, as you look at 1 Kings 16, Israel, the people of God, a, a group of people set apart as God's holy people, there's been transitioning happening in the leadership of Israel. So, and it would appear that with each king that's anointed, it just seems that there's moral decline in the nation of Israel that they get further and further from the things of God as they transition their leaders. And eventually we land on King Ahab. Now King Ahab is just a bad dude. As you look at the scriptures, the, the author of the book actually tells us that he was more evil than any other king, okay? By the way, I forgot to greet our online guests and I always do that. Online guests, welcome to church. I, I hope you're engaging. So there, took care of that. So King Ahab, he gets anointed king or he gets appointed king. And the scriptures tell us that he was more evil than any other king. The scriptures even go as far to say that he angered the Lord more than any other king. So in a nation that's already rotting, it's about to get worse. On top of that, he marries a woman named Jezebel. This is a pagan queen who has pagan influence. She has a strong personality. She has a heavy influence on her husband Ahab. So she makes her way into the kingdom. And now there's not just the evilness that's going on with Ahab himself, but he has the influence of an evil wife. And they start building a temple. She worships this God, Baal. They start building a temple in the nation of Israel that's designated to the God, Baal. So for me, it's, uh, you know, if, if you're, you know, there's always been a temple for God for his presence to dwell. But if you're building a temple for a God, it's almost like he's there to stay, right? Like th that's solidified. We are, we are turning away. We are beginning to worship this. They set up an Asherah pole, which is a pole that calls on the goddess of fertility to minister to their crops. Long story short, they're trusting in other gods other than Yahweh. Their hearts are turning. Their faith is split. Their faith is divided. They're turning to other gods instead of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I wanna skip over 1 Kings 17 because it's really random, but we find out through the chapters, God through judgment, which is really just grace, trying to turn the people of Israel back to himself. He sends plague on the land, he sends a drought to the land. So then in 1 Kings 18, it's really strange. Like 1 Kings 17, God tells Elijah to go into hiding. He meets with a widow. They have a whole interaction. And we're going to talk about that for pretty much the entire message. And then in 1 Kings, it says three years later, uh, Elijah goes and confronts King Ahab. And this is where he confronts the prophets. And you guys are familiar with that, where they lay the chopped up bulls on the altar and they call down fire from heaven. 
But in that interaction in, in 1 Kings 18, so there's this really random chapter in between, you know, 1 Kings 16, uh, where Ahab's anointed and, uh, and there's an interaction with Elijah. Then you have 17, where like Elijah goes into hiding, has an interaction with a widow. And then he's back with King Ahab and, and confronting the prophets just three years later. But in 1 Kings 18, verse 20 through 21, it says this. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer are y'all gonna waver? Right? This is what Chad screamed about for 25 minutes a couple weeks ago. How, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Like if it's Yahweh, if it's God, follow him. Put your faith in him. Submit to him. Who's your Lord? Who's your king? He's like, but if it's Baal, if that's your God, then follow him. And it says the people were completely silent. And this was Chad's message. Quit serving God half-heartedly. Quit living one way with your friends at work than a different way with your church community and your life group. Quit following the God of money, sex, and rock and roll. If God is God, then follow God. Amen? So while I'm studying to prepare for that message, because that's what I'm thinking I'm supposed to communicate or we're trying to communicate at both campuses, I am stuck in 1 Kings 17. So when he sent me the message on Friday morning, hey, you can preach whatever you want, I knew exactly what I was supposed to communicate. And I just really believe I'm on assignment this morning to meet some of you and encourage you in the season that you're in right now. So here we go. First Kings 17. That's a lot of setup, but I'll read this, then I'll pray, then I'll preach. Okay. First Kings 17 verse one, long passage, but it's good. Anything that's in the word is better than anything I have to say. Do you believe it? Okay. Let's read it. First Kings 17 verse one. Now Elijah, who's a prophet who was from Tishbe and Gilead told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give word. King Ahab is an evil king. Elijah representing the word of the Lord says a drought's coming because of your rebellion. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Kind of strange, but okay. Ravens are going to come feed Elijah. He's to go into hiding. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat, and each morning and evening he drank from the brook. But after a while... The brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Remember, there's a drought in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So Elijah goes into hiding, a raven's bringing him food. He's drinking from this brook. It dries up. God speaks to him. Go to Zarephath. There's going to be a widow there. Ask her what to do. She's going to help you. Okay, God. He heads off to Zarephath. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. 
I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of this jug. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I only have a handful of flour left in a jar, a handful of flour to make bread and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then me and my son, we're gonna die. This is it for us. Elijah says, you, you sound encouraged. <laughs> but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. I know you're dying and you and your son are fading away and you only have a little bit left, but make a little bread for me first. Okay, Elijah. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. He says, hey, give me a little bread. God's gonna take care of you. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always, come on, there was always, oh my word, did an angel just enter the room? <laughs> come on, focus, here we go. So Elijah said, she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised Elijah. So that her, her son dies, Elijah brings him back to life, and then it, it's into 1 Kings 18, and it says three years later, and it's like, God, what is, what, is this random, what is this random story in 1 Kings 17, and why is it in there? But as I was studying, I just believe that it is not by accident this chapter's in here, and there's something incredibly significant in this chapter for us to pull from for today. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. I'm so grateful to be in your house, to communicate to your body, to play my role and play my part. I pray for an anointing in this moment that you would clothe every word from my mouth in an anointing that would penetrate hearts. God, help us to receive and heed this word. I pray this word would encourage somebody in the scene that they're in. God, if we just listen to this word, but we don't apply this word, we're deceiving ourselves. So help us to grab hold of this truth like it's just that, it's truth. When we apply your truth to our lives, it's transformative, Lord. So we just uh, pray, use it for your will and for your purposes. And I pray this church would foster kids in Jesus' name. Anybody go to Embrace this year? Come on, isn't Embrace awesome? I just love the Embrace conference. I know it's a women's conference, but I always make sure to find my way to the front row one way or another. And uh, when Tasha asked me to speak at it, it's even better. So we, uh, at Embrace this year, there was a panel of people, okay? And in and, and the panel, each person represented a different year of Embrace. And then whatever year that they were assigned, they preached on for just five minutes what the topic of that year was. Does anyone remember that? Was anybody here for the panel? Cool. So this might look familiar if you were watching or listening to that panel. And today's message is basically just the extended version of what I communicated at Embrace. You'll notice there's this Viewmaster, and I, and I used it while I was communicating um, because my theme for Embrace or was 2018, which was embracing the now. So I used this Viewmaster as an illustration. And what's interesting about this toy is it was invented in 1939. 
So at that time, you know, you don't have, you don't have really swift travel like we do today that's, that's inexpensive. And um, you don't have Google Images, so you can't get online and just look and go and visit anywhere you want to go or Google Earth or satellites in the sky to just visit anywhere we want to visit. Now everything's accessible. We can fly everywhere we want pretty affordably, and we can uh, Google search anything on Earth, and we can just go look at any scene, any picture that we want to. But at the time, there was a postcard company that invented this toy when you couldn't do those things. Magically, when I hold these plastic-looking weird goggles up to my eyes, all of a sudden, I'm in space. How is that possible? Well, they come with a reel. Now, if you look closely at my reel, I'm missing a couple because I have toddlers in my house. So that's not supposed to be there. I don't know if you can zoom up on this so you can see it. And if not, I got a picture of a couple of reels. This reel you take, you slide into your Viewmaster, and each scene consists of a different image. So what's awesome is you can take these reels, all different reels. You can slide it into your Viewmaster. You can look through. I can totally observe it. But then when I get discontent or I get bored of the scene or I want to go somewhere else, all I got to do is now I'm somewhere else enjoying a new scene. I'm not bored anymore. I'm entertained. This scene's good. I like, ah, now I'm bored of this one. Click. And I can go anywhere I want to go. I think life is a lot like a reel in the sense of our lives are made up of a bunch of different scenes. But how the real is different than our lives is sometimes in life, when we, when we get to a scene, maybe we're discontent, maybe we're discouraged, maybe we're bored, maybe it's dull, but we can't click out of it. And we gotta wait in our scene. I don't know if, that resonates with any of you, but maybe some of you in this season, in this moment, you find yourself in a scene that you don't love. I can think of a scene specifically um, when I was 19 or 20 years old. Uh, those who know my story, maybe some of this is familiar, but as a 19, 20 year old kid, I'm playing college football, I get hurt. And uh, I can't even really walk upstairs. I'm in terrible pain. And so I start skipping classes. So I, I basically flunk out of college. Uh, I'm not playing college football anymore. And I find myself in a season where I'm in a new state. I've only been in Missouri for a, couple, for a year or two. I don't know anybody. Um, so now I'm at a community college where I'm sitting in a classroom where nobody knows me. And I don't know anybody else. And I don't have the identity of being a college football player to hang my hat up on to give me significance. I'm sitting in a room where nobody knows me and nobody cares to know me. And for a guy that was always big man on campus, that's uncomfortable. To feel the weight of my own insignificance was uncomfortable. I'm working at Verizon. I'm selling cell phones, working off commission. Not that there's anything working wrong, not that there's anything wrong with working at Verizon, but the work didn't feel significant to me because I wasn't passionate about it. In my whole life, people told me, you got a call on your life. You're going to be successful in whatever you do. You have, uh, you're, you're, you have gifts on your life, and here I am. And it's like right before my eyes, life is just happening, and it's happening fast. And I'm like, 
I am not content with the way this is going and the way this looks. I, th I thought it was gonna be, I thought it was gonna be better than this. Now there is a glimmer of light in the season. I'm a part of this life group and everybody in this life group goes to James River Church. Praise God for James River Church. Appreciate their leadership and all that they do in this community. It's an awesome church. And, uh, but Abigail and I, we've just kind of started dating and we're a part of this life group and we're getting sanctified. We're finding freedom. We're growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And, and it's God's developing something. He's, and, and some of the stones falling off of my heart specifically. But here's the deal. All my friends in the life group, they all go to James River. I'm at this little country church in Highlandville, Missouri, 40 by 40, white building, no colorful lights, no LED screens, no loudspeakers. There are white walls and wooden pews and a gray rug, and that's all we got. I am playing the drums at this church, but we needed the Holy Spirit to show up every Sunday, okay? As we always do, but y'all know what I mean. We needed extra help. We needed an extra measure of glory. On Easter Sunday, when we're packed, we have 35 people in the room. This, this place I remember, but, but here's the deal. I wanna go to church with all my friends to, to the big sexy church where the music's good and the preaching is fire. And, and I wanna be, I want it with the people I love and the people I'm doing life with from the day to day, but I am stuck at this little country church and the Lord will not release me. And I am driving to church on Sunday mornings, frustrated with God. Why do I have to be here? Come on, he ever had you stuck somewhere? He ever had you in a scene where you were discouraged or you were frustrated or you were discontent? Now this scene may sound to you like a vacation because I know there's probably some people who are in some scenes right now where you've been discouraged and discontent. I, I don't know, maybe the marriage is just falling out and you are battling with the loneliness and it's been some time now. Maybe you are married, but you're try it's taken everything you have to stay together and it's emotionally and physically draining and it doesn't look like there's light at the end of the tunnel. How much longer can I hang on to this thing? The kid you love, the kid you poured everything into, your biggest fear's coming true. It's looking like they're far from the Lord and, and it's the anxiousness that's draining your energy. Are they ever gonna turn? Are they gonna be okay? Are they gonna experience salvation? Maybe you find yourself in a season, you're getting older, and, and it feels like you don't have a significant place in your social circles anymore, and it's been hard, and it's been challenging. I don't know, we're all in different scenes, and sometimes we get stuck in these scenes, and we wish we could click out, we, we wish we could just click out, but we can't. We're stuck. Now, I do want to acknowledge there's some people in the room. God has you in an amazing season of life. And I want to take time to give God praise for that because God is good and he gives good gifts and he gives good things to his kids. And here's the deal. There's people in the room where they're like, I'm good and I'm content in the season and praise God. I'm not saying I haven't walked through anything in the last year, but I can declare God has been good to me. He's been good to my family and I'm grateful for the season that I'm in. But maybe that's not your scene. I think we have to be careful that we don't be come woe is me in church too much. We have to remember we serve a good God who has good plans and we need to celebrate that. So I pray that's where the majority of the room falls. But he also told us, hey, take heart because you're going to have some troubles. 
Hey, rejoice when you walk through trials because they're coming. Some of us, we find ourselves in trials. Some of us, we find ourselves in a difficult, in a difficult season and scene right now. And if I had to guess, just based on the context clues that we have, this widow in Zarephath, she don't like this scene. She don't like this scene. We know she's a widow. I don't know when her husband died, but maybe she's wrestling with the grief of losing the man that she loves most. The man who was supposed to help her raise her kid. She's grieving that loss. She's, she's battling the loneliness. I don't know. doesn't say that, but she, she's a widow. So, so maybe some of that's going on. There's a drought in the land. So not only is she struggling to care for herself, but as a single mom, she's struggling to care for her kid. Can you imagine the pain of not being able to provide for your kid, but also the struggle and the toll of being the single parent? I got three kids and my wife does most of the work with them and I'm still exhausted. Seriously, like single parents in the room, I don't know how you're doing it, but y'all deserve to be celebrated. And what you're doing is significant work. So praise God for you. But this widow finds herself in a season where she, she can't even, she can't even not only care for her son, but, but she can't even give him the, what's necessary to keep on living. And she says to Elijah, man, I was just going to gather these sticks and that was going to be about it for us. It's not a good scene. It's not a good scene. And on top of all of that, some guy rolls up and says, make me bread. That's crazy. First Kings 17, verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord. She's talking with Elijah right here. He shows up, says, hey, before you, I, I know you're starving and about to die, uh, but before you make yourself bread, can you make me some? Says this. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I only have a handful of flour left. And that flour represents what, what is going to turn into bread. So essentially, she's just got a, a little bit of flour. And then she says, and then the jar, a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. It's a little bit of oil. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then me and my son weren't going to die. But Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you said but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. Where I think this story is significant to us, it's found in what she has left. But before I talk about that, I, 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 don't, wanna make, I don't wanna make something there that isn't there, but she has flour to make bread and she has a little bit of oil. Flour to make bread and a little bit of oil. You know what I love about Jesus? Is that I say this almost every time I preach, but the word tells us in Colossians that all things were created through him and for him. Ephesians tells us we're the master, we're a masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do good things that he prepared for us long in advance. So not only does or, or, or so knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, he infuses my life with purpose. 
He gives me a reason for existence. I don't have to find significance in being a football player or even a good pastor or, or whatever title or uh, a successful businessman. My life is infused with purpose in knowing Jesus. My significance comes from him. But not only does he infuse every aspect of my life with purpose, but what we've come to know is truth in this life that we're living in is the wages of sin or death, okay? You and I, we rebel against God every single day. And so at the end of this thing, for our rebellion, for our sin, the wage is eternal death. So if someone doesn't pay that, it will be us that pays the cost. But we serve a God that is so gracious and so kind. He says, hey, I'll pay the cost. You just put faith in me that the work is done. He rescues us. Not only does he give us purpose in every aspect of our life, but he washes us clean of sin. And then there's something that happens when I put my faith in Jesus. When I put my faith in Jesus, he deposits his spirit within me. He seals me with his spirit. He marks me with his spirit. When I put faith in Jesus, I'm full of the spirit of God. He gives me his spirit. He's with me everywhere that I go. When I put faith in Jesus, his spirit is within me. I become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So everywhere I go, I'm in relationship with him. I'm in community with him. Everywhere I go, he's with me. Here, here's what I want to encourage you with. Every scene that you're in, when the spirit of God is inside you, every scene becomes sacred. It doesn't matter if the setting's sucky, every scene is sacred. I want to I acknowledge something. John 6, verse 32 through 35. Jesus says this in the New Testament. The widow had flour to make bread, and she had oil, a little bit of oil. John 6, Jesus told us this. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, uh, give us that bread every day. If you got that bread, we want that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. You're looking at it. The widow had a little flour to make bread and a little oil. I want to share another verse with you. James 5, 16, are any of you suffering hardships, you should pray. Are any of you happy, you should sing praises. Are any of you sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come pray over you. Doing what? Anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. In the Old Testament, when someone was anointed king, when someone was assigned king, they would anoint that person with oil. Oil has always represented the presence and the power of God. She had a little bread and a little oil. A little bread and a little oil. The widow says, I've only got a little flour and a little oil left in this jar. Well, guess what, baby girl? That's all you need. That's all you need. When you know Jesus, you have the bread of life. When you know Jesus, that Holy Spirit is within you. Come on, your life is clothed in the oil of joy. 
I know the setting might suck, but when you got Jesus and the spirit in you, every scene is sacred. Amen. I know you haven't liked this scene. I know it's been hard. I know you've been discouraged. I know you've been anxious. I know you've been lonely. I know you've been insecure. I know you've been ready to skip this scene. But I just wanted, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to tell somebody in this room, your scene is sacred. Your scene right now is sacred. Because Jesus has saved you. The Spirit of God is sanctifying you, and your Father that loves you is working all things together for your good. He can be trusted. He sees right where you are. He knows exactly what you need, and you may not like this scene, but something sacred is happening in this scene, not because of you, but because of who's in you. I know you've been discouraged. I know, you, I know you've been ready to click out of that scene, but God's in this scene, and he may be doing just some of his best work right now. Worship team, you can come. Play behind me a little bit here. There's some other lessons that I want to take from this message, though. And I, I think as we observe Elijah in this story, as we observe the widow in this story, we learn some things. Remember, Elijah's a prophet. In chapter 16, or, or at the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah's just been having an interaction with the king. Okay? Any of y'all sat at a table with Joe Biden recently? I don't think so. Okay, he, he gets into high places with high people. Here he is interacting with a king. He, he's a man of authority. He's a prophet. There's times in the scriptures where prophets roll up into the town and the people are, are covered in fear because they know that God will speak through these people. They're someone significant and important. But God tells Elijah, go and hide. So Elijah goes into hiding where a raven feeds him, and then the brook dries up. So he says, hey, go to this other town, Zarephath, and ask a widow to take care of you. A widow's not someone important in this time. They don't represent high social status and a person of authority and elegance. Elijah can't even take care of himself in this season. He has to go, he has to, go to another town and ask a widow, hey, can, can you take care of me? He just went from addressing a king to asking a widow for help. But little does Elijah know, the Lord has some big plans for him. And the Lord's gonna do some significant things in him and through him in just three years in 1 Kings 18. Little does Elijah know, he's gonna call down fire from heaven. A revival is going to break out through him. He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to defeat 450 prophets in front of everybody in Israel. God's going to do that through him. And we know and we recognize that scene. And we can come into agreement that that scene is obviously sacred. But being hungry, thirsty, relying on a widow, not having a place to get water, not being able to care for yourself... Is that scene sacred? But what Elijah didn't realize is this scene was a setup. God needed to know, Elijah, will you love me here? Will you trust me here? Will you obey me here so I can use you to call down fire from heaven and use you there? Every scene is sacred. But not just Elijah. How about the widow? She, she's thinking, my husband's dead. 
I'm running out of resources. I, I can't even give my kids what they need. And the little that she does have left, the prophet of God says, hey, can you give some to me? Come on, even when it feels like you don't have a lot, there's a principle here. With whatever you got, maybe the salary's low, maybe you lost your job, I don't know, maybe you're in a season of struggle, but I can promise you this, when you seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, he will always give you everything you need. He will sustain you in every scene. God, you can have it. I don't have much, but you can have it. Even when it looks like, if I tithe, I'm not going to make it. No, no, no. We seek first the kingdom. He always gets our first. He will sustain you in every scene, and you need to be reminded of that right now and what she doesn't even realize is the man that she's providing for you know that prophet it, it represents God he's the voice of God it represents God her giving her bread first it represents giving God first but what she also doesn't realize is that she will be sustaining the man who is going to be used to call down fire from heaven she is she is uh, part of God's provision in that process no scene is insignificant she didn't know, but she was faithful. Come on, some of y'all, you've been ready to click out of your scene. And I came here this morning to tell you, you just need to steward your scene. You just need to trust God in your scene. You just need to keep going in your scene. I believe God's doing something significant right where you are, right where you are. You've been ready to click out, but, but what if God's still cultivating something? What if, what if God's plan is still unraveling? What if he hasn't left you and he hasn't abandoned you and he's right there with you? You may not understand it, but I promise you he's working right now. His provision is taking place right now. Steward your scene. Because in one of my most discouraging, discontent, dull seasons of my life where I literally cried at my kitchen table talking to my parents, I flunked out of college, I'm done with college athletics, thinking what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What is my life turning into? Crying, I literally said to them, I feel like a loser. I feel like a loser. And I'm in this little church that I don't even really like being at, but the Lord won't release me from. But it would be at that church on a Tuesday night, I would preach to three kids on a pew. And then the next Tuesday, I'd preach to five kids on a pew. And then the next Tuesday, I'd preach to eight kids on a pew. And then the next Tuesday, and it went on, and y'all see where we're at. And all of a sudden, I got a room full of people depending on me to preach the word of God. And you know what? I'm content with what God's doing in me in this season, but I didn't see it back then. But you know what? If you just steward the scene you're in, I promise you God's doing something significant in you and through you. Part of my assignment this morning was to come and encourage somebody. You're not too old. You're not too dumb. You're not too broken. You're not too broke. You're not too insecure for God in his grace to save you, sanctify you, and use you for significant kingdom work. My assignment this morning was to tell you, I know the setting might suck, but your scene is sacred. Come on, God is doing something right now. And what I want you to know, and what I want you to know, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, that contentment is never found in circumstance. So as you wait, man, once, once the paycheck's good, I'm, I'm gonna be straight. No, you won't. Man, once I get that car, once I find my wife, once I'm not single anymore, once I'm in the relationship, once I get the promotion, no, you won't. 
If you don't find contentment in this circumstance, then any contentment you do find is temporary. Our contentment is found in the person of Christ, in the finished work of the cross. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.